Hello and welcome, I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. We are still very much knee-deep in tech, and this is episode 107, recorded on the 18th of February 2020. We have misplaced the Finn. Yeah, we can't Finn him. Oh, God. Why? (laughs) This day was going so well. I know. No, apparently he is actually working on something. Yeah. Gasp. Uh, so, uh, yeah, he, he had to work and couldn't make the recording this time. But he'll be back next week when, incidentally, I won't be joining because I'm doing training in, in Oslo. And I think I'm going to start there, actually, because you've been an MCT certified trainer for as long as I have, yep. even though that I've been training longer than you have. But you have lived very much longer than I have. That is also true. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. So would you say that training has changed in any big way since many, many years? Yeah, absolutely. It's changed just since I started. I've been in MCT now for, I believe this is our fifth year? Fifth year, year? yes. Fifth year, yeah. Uh, And um, it's changed only during that time. Uh, the the what I see that organizations now is searching for is way more specialized training, uh, both in terms of solving an actual challenge. So they don't want to know all the bells and whistles of configuration manager. They want to know how to use configuration manager to manage uh, internet connected devices in these five different countries with these governmental regulations. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also they want way more interaction uh, than previously, I would say. Uh, It's a completely different kind of people that train today or that attends training today than just a few years ago. Uh, And I think that's it's good. Uh, But at the same time, I feel that it's, um, it's not very inclusive because the silent people that attended classes previously could be silent because no one was speaking and currently there are people that want to know everything and they at some points really gets the upper hand of the entire class it, and it's up to me as a trainer of course to handle that but at some points it's it's fairly hard um, so i definitely see a, a more uh, that training is moving towards what we with trusic do as geek weeks so basically, you pay to get access to a bunch of experts and ask them anything you like, and it can be very, very specific for your needs. And you then attend a course just to get some insights from other organizations, or you attend a course with your entire team to get some off-site t- uh, time and uh, get your questions answered. Very interesting points. And you were kind of, uh, you ended up where I was going because <laughs> for for most of my trainer career, it's been the same. I will be standing in front of my audience and I will be talking and pointing to some kind of presentation or whiteboard or whatever. It's It's pretty much been the same since I started. Now, the issue with that is it is almost exclusively a one-way communication i am talking they are listening and of course there are going to be questions which is going to be awesome and then they do 
labs. And these labs are invariably railroaded as heck, as in click here, 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 and here, and get a blue ball. Good boy, next one. And nobody learns from that, especially as the railroading is even more sinister, because it's very well designed, so it will never fail. It will always behave in a consistent way that is not necessarily uh, in, in conjunction with reality. So what I did, together with a few of my colleagues here at the Thea Cloud Academy, was to kind of see if we could turn training on its head. So next week we are doing the first Cloud Academy bootcamp with an infrastructure flavor. They are uh, divided into groups, and each group gets a pretty hefty scenario to tackle. And they have a lot of information going in because the scenarios I've already shared with them. So I'm expecting them to know the scenarios. And then they will be discussing among themselves how to solve this specific issue. And then when they're done, it's time to present this um, solution to the next group. And when that's done, vice versa. And then, and only then, it is time for me as a trainer, or in this case, a more, um, more of a facilitator, to take to the stage and discuss the solutions and any issues that they found and, and pretty much find where, where the holes in their knowledge is and, and patch those. So I'm extremely interested to see if this way of training works because it requires so much more from the students than usual. And they are probably not expecting that despite me being very clear in, in the information material. So it's, it's going to be fun. What, and, and that leads me to, to the question I have about your, your Geek Weeks. That sound awesome, by the way. Yep. How, how prepared are people coming to the Geek Weeks? Have you had instances where people go, oh, I thought this was a training. Am I supposed to do something as well? Or is it always people kind of chomping at the bit going... Ah, uh, ah, uh, Simon, 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 I have a question. And then it just goes downhill from there. Since this is my first one, uh, I can't answer for sure. But I would say that the people that attend Geek Weeks are usually geeks. Uh, by It's basically who we try to target as well. It should be people that are interested in having discussions. It should be people that are um, there to really learn, to challenge us. And hopefully also challenge one another and be very um, open to getting feedback from others, not just from us as experts. Uh, but I, I'm really looking forward to it as well to see how, how it works out. And uh, I think the, the good thing about the Geek Week is that you don't have one trainer. So me and Peter will be the... Uh, we will be... Um, managing one of the labs and they are primarily labs it's about 60 to 70 percent labs uh, or something like that but we will bring be bringing in a bunch of other people as well both other colleagues but also external people from microsoft from um, other consultancy firms from all over the place and we will also be bringing in colleagues that work with completely different kinds of technology so we will be moving around between the labs to uh, IS, an example, could be going into a cybersecurity class and talk about uh, mobile device security and management, since that's a vital part of it. So I think that's the thing that you have such a broad variety of people, both 
uh, experts and attendees. Uh, and I think that's the and what I aim for is definitely to have good discussions more than standing on stage and telling people how it should be done. And discussions are always uh, enhanced by differing viewpoints. Yeah. So Absolutely. super cool. Um, suddenly I want to attend one of your Geek Weeks, even though I don't think I have a clue what you're doing considering your, your field of expertise. But yeah. yeah, but uh, I think like we we have one this year who is red team versus blue team. So the first half will be really attacking infrastructure, and the other half will be defending infrastructure. Um, wow, which is something I would love to do, and it's really skilled people that will be uh, managing that one. Uh, dangerous people. Mm-hmm. So they great fun. Are. Yeah, but I think this also adds uh, to. I'm doing a very. Um, unprepared segue here this is again why are you attending training is it to learn how you do things or why you do things which we discuss in did discuss in our previous episode and mm-hmm. which you then took to the interwebs with i did i asked the question do you come to a session on at a conference to learn the how or the why to which I received so many interesting answers. Yeah. Way more answers than I had, had expected and from people that I, I never had expected to to get some points from. And they, they were all great points because the majority says, we come for the why, but there's always the but. And that kind of first, uh, at first threw me off a bit. Because I thought, well, either it's the why or the how, but of course it's both. And it's all about using the why as a wrapper around the how to create context and, and create what's in it for me, basically. So it was, it was great, great stuff. Um, and, and it's, it's all there on the internets. If anybody wants to see the, the Twitter discussion. Yeah. More specifically on Twitter. On Twitter. Uh, and you actually have 30 different replies to it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also think that it's it's this is probably one of the most mature discussions I've seen on the topic, to be honest. Uh, because as with the live demos or not, which I think ties in very well to this one, mm-hmm. it, it usually ends up a complete mess with people arguing uh, in a very childish way, uh, which is a shame because it's an in, to me a very interesting and important discussion in terms of how the IT infrastructure world will look and even the dev world will look in the coming years. But I'm really happy that you asked the question and thank you everyone that answered it. And we'll see how that affects our upcoming speaker engagements. Yeah, because I'm already hard at work, I wouldn't say redesigning, but um, refocusing my session for, for Tech This Finland. It's it's going to be a the same session that I did in the in Oslo, but I'm I'm retasking it just a tad. Yeah. So I'll see what what kind of results I get out of that. Very yep. much looking forward. I'm I'm really jealous, by the way, that you are going to Finland. I would have loved to join, but we have our Geek Week that week. Ah. Uh, but uh, I really would have loved to join again. Uh, so I hopefully I can attend next year. Definitely. So speaking of attendance, <laughs> I am hosting a Swedish Power BI user group meetup on Thursday. Yep. And when I started 
working with the Swedish Power BI user group, or, or I should say, when I took over the Swedish Power BI user group on uh, during the summer of 2019, I think we had our first meetup on July the 4th. We were like 25 people. And I had a, a number of, of, of um, people in my group that was 473. Now, on Thursday, I already have 65 signed up. I know not, not all of them are going to come, but a lot of them are going to come. And my group is now up to 593 people. Cool. How cool is that? So there is a definite interest in Power BI. Unfortunately, we are still stuck in Stockholm. I am um, in, in discussions with... Uh, interested parties to uh, start up um, in in meetups in different cities but we're working yep. on it um, but what's even more interesting is that we're going to be the first meetup to use the new Microsoft reactor space at epicenter in Stockholm oh cool I'm really looking forward to your views on that since it's so close mm-hmm. to our office as well oh really yep it's basically next door there we go. Yeah, because apparently some people in Stockholm thinks it is too far to go to Hammarby Sjöstad. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's like 15 <laughs> minutes away. <laughs> it depends on so many variables. You as a data person should know that. Oh, don't get me started. I'll, I'll just draw you a graph. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. Oh, God. So you had a lot of stuff that we couldn't fit in the last episode. Okay, so let's start with some ARM stuff. In the latest Insider Previews of Windows 10, you are now able to run Hyper-V features on top of ARM CPUs. So as an example, on a Surface Pro X. And what's interesting with this is, of course, that you now have so many different use cases which weren't able previously, or you weren't able to use previously. You also unlocks a number of security features on ARM as well. But it's also very interesting to look at it from an architectural point of view, since this should mean that we will be getting some updates on how to run apps and such on ARM, which previously weren't available to us. So 64-bit non-ARM-built Uh, apps as an example Uh, and therefore i'm also regretting not getting the 16 gigabit gigabytes uh, pro x because that would have been amazing Um, i'm curious about the 8 versus 16 gigabyte versions of the pro x how more memory efficient would you say that the arm architecture is compared to the x86 so how much how much of a difference is 8 versus 16 and don't say 8 gigabytes <laughs> 8192 megabytes then thank Just you simon <laughs> damn it simon uh I, I i would say that i haven't looked at it but i would say that i don't notice any considerable difference if anything i would guess and i'm happy to look into it that it actually uses a bit more ram than the equivalent x86 cpu just because it needs a slight overhead to do the virtualization. But I may be completely wrong. So someone that knows CPUs, please correct me. 
but that that's the feeling I get at least. Interesting. And yeah, it, it's going to be, you need to do the computing somewhere and I'm sure you need, need to store the results somewhere. But I'm, yeah. I'm curious to, to see if an ARM application is bigger or smaller, or I should say has a larger or smaller memory footprint than the equivalent x86 or x64 um, application. Interesting yeah. stuff. Would be really interesting to try out actually. And, and it's also fun to see that we get more and more new features for ARM and an extended support for ARM in Configuration Manager and Intune as well. I'm managing my ProX with Intune, works just brilliantly. Uh, and looking at the latest, or we'll probably have a new release this week or in the beginning of next of Intune, uh, we have also seen uh, improved performance for the company portal on ARM. So it's definitely something Microsoft is focusing on and um, I think it's it's they almost missed the train with the first ARM based computers that I believe it was Samsung and HP released where they were close to unusable they could have ended up in a Windows phone situation there as well but with the Pro X I think they definitely have some good things to bring to to the market and with the support for the all the regular management tools out there it's it's really uh, a fun thing to use and look into because i'm really looking forward to getting that increased battery performance from the arm cpu which i lack in my pro x that that's the biggest downside of it that there there's very little reason other than the big screen the ai ship and so on to get the Pro X over uh, regular Pro, basically. The 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 battery time is even better on the Pro Seven. That's interesting. Uh, you should say that because I just received a Surface Pro Seven i, the i7 16 gigabyte. Oh, and I new think computer. The, yes, and and I think the battery time is absolutely disastrous. Oh, okay. I don't have even two hours. That uh, just using that must normal. be something extremely wrong. Yeah, and I'm trying to figure out what. Are you running Windows 10 Pro or Enterprise on yours? Enterprise, of course. That wouldn't be any no, it's, difference. No, no, it's the exact same code base. So, because what's even more fun, and this is a complete aside, is what what do you do when you get a new computer? What's the first thing you do with a new computer? It might be the same as I do, but I'm not sure because you're you're younger than I am. Um, I do two things. The absolute first thing I do, uh, I actually AD join it so I can manage it and log on using that. But once I'm in the OS, I start Netflix or YouTube and try out the screen. So what I do is I <laughs> remove everything from the hard drive and do a complete reinstall. I'm shaking my head. Yes, I know. I'm old school and there is no point in doing Your so legacy. Anymore. You're not oh, even old school. Ouch. <laughs> Man, that hurt. <laughs> so here is the funny part. Do you think that there are any drivers for Surface devices in the base uh, Windows 10 Pro or Enterprise editions that you can get from uh, myvisualstudio.com? Uh, there. No, <laughs> nothing, not at all. I.e. there are no drivers for Wi-Fi or such things as hmm, touchscreens. 
So it is completely useless out of the box until you force the, the surface drivers on your machine. Seriously, Microsoft? You're doing it wrong. I know, but <laughs> still. It's basically like saying, I'll, I'll remove the firmware from my car and then install like a regular car firmware and behold, the screen wipers doesn't work. Come on. That was one of the worst <laughs> comparisons <laughs> I've ever heard. But then again, you do drive a Tesla. Yeah, so I have a working car uh, with firmware updates. So when did you last receive a firmware update for your car? Uh, is this the German car, yeah. <laughs> so it will not have any, any firmware updates ever, no. But this is a surprisingly unexpected and very good segue into another topic that is... We're not going to be able to cover it completely in the the last 10 minutes but Whoa. it's a very interesting conceptual topic it's based on two things for for starters the whole um tesla why <laughs> did i bring up tesla yeah well please here here's the deal do you own your tesla no if you were to buy the tesla do you own the tesla oh that's where you're going yes the the answer to that question is no you don't because there are features in the car that are not connected to the car. They are connected to you. Yep. I, I honestly didn't know this, by the way. Very few people did. Yeah. So if, if you buy the full self-driving stuff, yep. that is connected to you. So when you sell the car, that is going to be removed from the car. Can you transfer it? Is it even possible? I have no idea. But because I if would you decide to if you decide to buy a completely different brand of car, what happens then? You have paid. Yes, you have. And I, I don't know if it's transferable um, at all. I would hope that it is because it's a lot of money. Yeah. But yeah. So this brings me to a article in Wired that I read either today or, or yesterday. And it's penned by Molly Wood. And it's called, we need to talk about cloud neutrality. And th this is the reaction to a book written by the Microsoft president and general counsel, Brad Smith, and co-author Carol Ann Brown. The book is called Tools and Weapons, The Promise and the Peril of the Digital Age. So th the, the premise in the book is, is describing that the net economy is, is kind of, it's, it's surpassed by the, the cloud economy. And the key for all these cloud economy things are the data centers. And the data centers are like billions of dollars of investment and super complex and super techy. The thing is, suddenly, pretty much three companies control the whole world. They control the whole economy. Take, for instance, Netflix. Where do you think Netflix runs? Amazon. Does Amazon have their own streaming service? Yes. So technically Amazon is incubating their own competitors. Yep. And this, it doesn't need to be a problem, but it presents an, quite an interesting conundrum. And we've heard this whole 
I don't want to put my stuff in the cloud because I don't have control over it. That's one aspect of, 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 uh, of the cloud. But this is another aspect. Three companies control the whole world and the whole economy. I can't realistically do on-prem what I can do in the cloud, but I am stuck in their clouds, i.e. there is no net neutrality. People scream bloody murder when the net neutrality rules were re uh, revoked in the US. Suddenly, the, the um, network providers could set arbitrary rules for traffic. What is to keep Microsoft or Google or Amazon from doing the same thing in the data centers? First of all, my view on this is very naive. I trust, in my case, Microsoft. And I would say that I trust Amazon to a certain extent. I don't trust Google, which, and don't mention my Android phone, my Android watch, all of that, please. No, I won't. Uh, but I think that that's, it's a very interesting discussion. discussion. And in my view, I trust the providers just because I find them to be the good parts of the IT world. But looking at it from, from the perspective you should be looking at it, of course, it's a problem. But I think what we're currently in is sort of everyone is afraid to lose that momentum. It only takes one mistake for one of these huge companies to actually lose their cloud business. That That's what I honestly believe. If someone were to hack Azure or AWS or Google Cloud and for real hack it, uh, crush the security, get access to data, whatever, I think that would be a huge hit in that it would definitely make a lot of customers move towards the two other ones. And I think if we end up in that world, then we have a big uh, and an even bigger challenge. So currently, we are still building this up. I do think that we don't need to be worried currently. We should be worried when they start to break down, when they start to come to a place where they can't compete based on new technologies. Because at some point we will be getting there. Like they, at some point they, they will have services that are fairly similar in both price, performance and the offerings they have. And at that point they need to start to do something different. And I would, wouldn't be surprised if that were that some of them say, yeah, we, we are the best cloud for media hosting as an example. And I would bet you that that wouldn't be Amazon because that would be taking even more competitors under their wings. I may be completely out uh, of my mind saying this, but I think that that's where we will end up. I'm not worried currently. It will be a problem at some point. I hope that we'll be getting more players that perhaps will be able to do sort of kind of the same thing. I don't think we'll see that many local players, but perhaps a European cloud, a European public cloud. Um, but I think it's it's still a couple of years away. Interesting thoughts. And when I did my military service back in the late 90s, there was this this pervasive saying that trust is good, uh, control is better. And 
the, the, the point there was that you should empower your people, but you m- must always be able to keep track of what they're doing. And the oversight of both Amazon, Google, and, and Microsoft is close to zero. And I would like to add something to that. When when you say it in, in that way, that trust is good, control is better. Uh, looking at World Economic Forum, we did discuss that a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Moving back to one of the things they said, that a lot of company leaders across the globe want governments to take more control over the cloud providers. And I'm... <laughs> we're back there again. I wouldn't trust our government... <laughs> To manage that, to be completely honest, uh, we didn't talk too much about Saab's new cloud offering. Uh, I would, I would trust Saab any time over the Swedish government to run a cloud, just because of it being politics. I, I, I honestly rather trust money than politics. And I think that's the the key to understanding your point of view. And I. Yeah. I would have to agree to to a, a fairly large extent because oversight might sound like a great idea, but what does it mean and who is doing the oversight? And I think that's that's something we could not figure out at yeah. this moment. But it's an interesting new, I wouldn't say new, but it's, it's an interesting different viewpoint from what we are used to. And this is not at all technical. This is only political if you will yeah quite interesting and i think on that hot potato (laughs) it is time to end this episode thank you so much for listening we'll be back or the other two guys will be back next week because i'll be doing in my my training in oslo and until next week have a good one bye bye